And as they're heading out, we're in Genesis chapter 26, verses 1 to 11. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there. <clears throat> going to be talking about overcoming temptation today. How does temptation come? Sometimes with lots of warning and time to think, and we may succumb or resist after much deliberation, at other times temptation presents itself in the span of a few moments, and we react, making a, a quick decision to follow or flee from wrong desires. <clears throat> Sudden temptation was what one man experienced uh, when he walked into a suburban Chicago Walgreens in June of 2011. According to the Chicago Tribune, a security video shows that he walked up to an ATM in the store, set his drink on the floor, and did his banking. He then leaned over and picked up his drink and did a double take at what he saw on the floor. There was a bag with a Chase Bank logo on, on it filled with cash and checks. <clears throat> According to the Tribune, the security video shows that he pauses for a moment, his eyes riveted to the floor, then he takes a, a long look around, picks something up, and slips out of the door. The man got in his car and with the money, uh, with the money and drove away. The bag contained over $17,000. By the time he had driven to his home suburb some 45 minutes away, he had time to weigh his decision further, and realizing he had probably been captured on video he decided to turn in the money to the bank, according to the Tribune. Unfortunately, he also decided to lie about where he found the money. He walked into to a Chase Bank in Rolling Meadows and said that he had found the money in a Rolling Meadows mall. The story hit the newspapers. Writer Bert, a, con a constable, says that the man uh, was featured in newspapers around the world, gave interviews to radio and TV stations, was hailed as a hero on websites, received a gift basket and small gifts from strangers, was the object of romantic inquiries, uh, was repeatedly asked about a reward, and even drew high praise from a nun for being so honest. <laughs> they just didn't know. <laughs> the Rolling Meadows police weren't so sure. It didn't take long to learn where the money had actually come from, and the FBI was brought in to aid in the investigation. A few weeks later, the police confronted the man with the truth, and he confessed to what had happened. He was fined $500 for filing a false police report. Far worse, no doubt, was the embarrassment he suffered, as the real story also hit the newspapers. After the truth came out, he admitted in an interview, I did have that thought in my mind upon finding the money. Yes, I could do a lot with that, I considered that, it, that to be the human reaction to seeing a large sum of money in front of me. So, you know, he, he does what's right, right? But he doesn't, he's still not honest about it <clears throat> and everything. And, you know, it's, sometimes we're tempted, right, to do certain things. We're tested in our walk with the Lord. Um, Warren Wearsby talks about that in his commentary how the true faith is always tested. That's our big idea that we're going to get to in just a moment. But, you know, for Judy and I, we really felt like we went through a time of testing of our faith. When Seth was two years old, we found a bump on his belly. We didn't know what it was, but it continued to grow over the next year. And we finally got a second opinion from a surgeon who just recommended that we have it removed. And so at three years old, he had surgery to remove this bump that had gotten fairly large, like a half dollar around 
couple of inches, inch or so up off of his belly. And we didn't know if, the, if that bump was cancer or not, but that was, definitely went through our minds. And, and so, you know, we had, we had to trust the Lord until they were able to remove it, and it just turned out to be a mass of tissue that uh, had elements for, like, cartilage and bone and hair. We joking, jokingly say it was his twin. Um, and so can you imagine two sets? Two sets running around. Nathan wouldn't know what to do with that, John, with two sets, I'm telling you. And so we had to trust the Lord during that time. It was, it was difficult. I mean, it's difficult to send your child, and uh, three-year-old, into a, a surgery to have something removed that you don't know what it is. And we were tempted to give in to fear instead of trusting the Lord. Definitely tempted. And so all of us have, <clears throat> have probably had our faith tested at some point. All of us have experienced some temptation in our lives. And so the narrator focuses on Isaac here in Genesis chapter 26, the whole book, or that whole chapter, I mean. We're going to look at just the first part of it today. In the first 11 verses, we see that Isaac is tempted in two ways, to run and to lie. And how will he react to the temptations that come his way? Will he continue in the faith his father had? Will he be obedient to the commands, decrees, and laws that the Lord had given to his father? And so from the section of Scripture today, we'll learn that true faith is always tested. And those are Warren Wearsby's words exactly, right out of his commentary. So as we think about that today, would you just bow your heads with me as we just commit it to the Lord in prayer? Lord, we come to you today. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we have the opportunity to just delve into it today, to dig in deep <clears throat> and find the truths there, the principles there, the application there that you want for us today. We pray that through your Holy Spirit that our hearts and our minds would be open to your word. We pray that you would, you would speak through this cracked and chipped vessel today. I pray, Lord God, that I wouldn't speak anything that's not your truth. And that, Lord, if there are other things that you want for your people to hear today that you would speak through the message. And so we commit our time to you today. We thank you that we are able, over, we are able to overcome temptation because of our relationship with you. We just ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So look at verses 1 to 6 with me, if you would. In Genesis chapter 26, as we talk about the temptation to run, this is what God's word says. Now there was a famine in the land, besides the earlier famine of Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and kept my requirements, my commands, my decrees, and my laws. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. So we see the setting here in verse 1. The narrator tells us that Isaac experienced a famine in Canaan during his lifetime. 
He also tells us that it was not the same famine that Abraham experienced, his father, that we see in Genesis chapter 12, verses 10 to 20. So this is sometime later, I think I read that it was perhaps like 75 years later uh, that this famine comes, so it's not the same one. Isaac goes to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. Now, interesting, interestingly enough, um, Abraham went to Egypt for, uh, when, when he had the famine, but there was another time that he went to a king named Abimelech. It's not the same guy, though. This was not the same Abimelech that Abraham encountered in Genesis chapter 20. And because of the lapse in time, this Abimelech would have been the son or grandson of that Abimelech. So that's confusing, right, because I keep using the same name. Well, the name Abimelech was perhaps a dynasty throne name, similar to Pharaoh in Egypt. So, you know, the Pharaoh, that wasn't his official name. It wasn't his birth name. That was his throne name. They called him Pharaoh. <clears throat> Same thing here with Abimelech for the Philistines in Gerar. So, Gerar, the last time we were given a location of Isaac and Rebekah, it's in Genesis chapter 25, verse 11. He's living in uh, Beer Lahay Roy. And quite a bit of time has passed since that reference, and Isaac and Rebekah would have been nomadic uh, traveling around. From wherever Isaac and Rebekah were living, when the famine hit, they traveled to Gerar to see Abimelech. This is heading northeast if they were still in, in Beer Lehe Roy. So they would have been heading um, northeast. Uh, so uh, if they were living there, when the famine hit, perhaps they, they thought that heading 75 miles northeast would make a difference, right? Maybe if we just head northeast, back towards Canaan, towards uh, you know the Promised Land area, maybe the famine isn't so bad there. But when they get there, they realize that the famine is just as bad there as it was anywhere else, right? In this Promised Land, and so um, I'm guessing at this point that uh, from from the next section that Isaac was thinking about going down to Egypt to escape the famine, but God had other plans for him. He's like, yeah, you headed northeast and found out that the famine's still bad there too, but I don't want you to go to Egypt. I don't want you to leave the promised land. He didn't want Isaac to leave the promised land to find a wife, if you remember. Abraham sent his servant, and he said, don't, let, don't take my son back east to Mesopotamia. He's like, don't do it. I, and God wanted Isaac to remain in that promised land, didn't want him to leave. And so the Lord, as we see in verse 2, this command, the Lord realized the intention of Isaac's heart. So he inter intervened by appearing to Isaac and giving him a command. The Lord does not want Isaac to go to Egypt. He wants him to remain in the promised land, even in the middle of a famine. I like what Wearsby says here. He says, the safest place in the world is in the will of God, for the will of God will never lead us where his grace cannot provide for us. Have you experienced that? Sometimes the will of God is not an easy place, right? We're not guaranteed, you know, um, an easy life being a follower of Christ. And sometimes we go through difficulties, and he allows us to go through that. But he's like, hey, my grace is sufficient for you. My power or my strength is made perfect in weakness. And it's like, so we, sometimes we have to live in that. And that's what God is asking Isaac to do here. He's like, remain in my will, and I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to take care of you. And we'll see this fulfilled later in Genesis chapter 26. God blesses and provides for Isaac when he was obedient to the Lord's command. Have you experienced that in your life? Now, we may not always understand the will of God for our lives. We may be tempted to run when we lose our job or the company we work for folds. We may be tempted to run 
um, and move um, our retirement uh, to other investments when the stock market drops. We may be tempted to run when the political climate is not to our liking. We may be tempted to run when things at church get difficult. And so much more. I mean, we're always tempted to run and go somewhere else. You know, the old saying is the grass is always greener on the other side. But have you heard the rest of that? Well, it, it's actually what I've said. <laughs> the grass is, green, is always greener on the other side if you're not taking care of your own grass. If you're not watering and nourishing your own grass. Well, everything else looks so much better. So what do we need to do? We, we need to nourish we need to water and take care of our grass where we're at. The Lord tells us to hold on, to stay where he is telling us to stay within his will. And sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes it's difficult. But he promises that his grace is sufficient for us. His strength is made perfect in weaknesses. And Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 8 to 10. The Apostle Paul understood this when he asked the Lord three times to remove the thorn in his flesh. And the Lord's grace was sufficient for him. The Lord says, I'm not going to take that thorn out of your flesh. It's there for a reason. And the Lord provided for Paul through the difficulty that he was experiencing. He'll do the same for you. You see, true faith is always tested. Will you give in to the temptation to run when things get difficult? Or will you trust in the grace of the Lord to provide for you in the middle of the difficulty you're experiencing? And so maybe that first next step is for you today on the back of the communication card. It says, trust in the Lord's all-sufficient grace and remain in His will instead of giving in to the temptation to run. You know, we've seen that. We see it in our culture today. Fathers who say, I'm just out, right? I'm not going to hang around. I'm going to run. And I just want to say today, for fathers who have stayed there and hung in in the difficulties, I want to applaud you today. That's incredible. And we need to be praying for those fathers who have stepped out, who have run. We need to ask the Lord to just work in their hearts and minds and encourage them to come back. Their children need them. And so we can be a help. And for those that children that don't have a father, we can be that father. We can mentor them. We can come alongside them and be a support to them. I encourage you men today that if you know of some children out there that don't have a father, consider stepping into their lives. Consider being there for them to encourage them, to help them. So with this command to remain in the promised land, the Lord also gives Isaac a promise. We see that in verses 3 to 5. He promises first his presence. This is the first time in the narratives about the patriarchs where God says, I will be with you. This is the first time that it happens. What an incredible promise for Isaac. We're given the same promise that God will never leave us or forsake us so we can say with confidence that the Lord is our helper. That's Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. We're given that same promise in the New Testament. It's for us today, too. He's like, I'm going to be with you. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I'm not going to turn my back on you and walk away. Boy, that's an incredible heavenly father, isn't it? 
He's there for us. And we're, as I said, we're given that same promise, and God will help us through our times of temptation. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 11 to 13 tell us this. These things happen to them as examples and were written down as warnings uh, for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can stand up under it. Aren't you grateful for that promise today? So Isaac's not only promised God's presence, but God's blessing. Isaac would experience the blessing of God immediately. We see this in Genesis chapter 26, verses 12 to 15. And I won't, I'm just going to mention, I'm not going to um, uh, expound on it at all, because Pastor Mark will do that next week. Here's what the blessings are. Isaac's crops produced a hundredfold. <laughs> that's, that's phenomenal. He became very rich and wealthy. He had many flocks and herds. He had many servants. And the Philistines became jealous of him because of God's blessing. The Lord not only promised his blessing, but also land. <clears throat> the Lord again promised that Isaac and his descendants would inherit all of the lands. This promise would be fulfilled in the future. The Lord also promised to confirm and fulfill the Abrahamic oath through Isaac. And so we see that as well. That the Abrahamic covenant was this, or oath was this, that he would have innumerable descendants, like the stars in the sky, like the sand on the seashore. You can't count it. That's how many descendants they were going to be given. Again, we see the promise of land, all these lands. And then all nations on earth will be blessed. <clears throat> this will happen through Isaac's descendants. It's a continual, ongoing promise that the Lord fulfills generation after generation. Guess what? We're a part of that. We're a part of that today. Um, let me read you this illustration. Regarding the doctrine of election, Christopher Wright notes that election isn't just for our individual benefit and salvation. According to the uh, biblical story, election means that the elect become agents of blessings to others. Wright uses the following story. It is, uh, it is as if a group of trapped cave explorers choose one of their number to squeeze through a narrow flooded passage to get out to the surface and call for help. The point of the choice is not so that she alone gets saved, but that she is able to bring help and equipment to ensure the rest gets rescued. <clears throat> Election in such a case is an instrumental choice of one for the sake of many. <clears throat> and so we see that. Like, she wasn't let out of the cave. She wasn't chosen uh, to simply go out and save herself. No, it was so that she could help to save others as well. That's, that's our relationship with Christ. That, that's what we need to be doing. We, we, God didn't save us simply so that we can just sit in a corner or have a holy huddle with a couple of other people. No, that's so that we will go out. I mean, that's the great commission. That's the great command that we see in the book of Mark and the book of Matthew, that we're supposed to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything we have been commanded. And he's going to be with us always to the very end of the age. It's to bless others. It's not for just our own salvation. <clears throat> And so that leads us to principle one today, that others will be blessed by our godly lives. 
When we live a godly life, others will see Jesus in us. They will see that following Jesus means something different than following the patterns of this world. It shows them that we live by biblical standards. <clears throat> it shows them that we are shaped by the word of God and not, uh, the, and not the culture. It shows them that we are transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit living within us. Our actions, speech, behavior, and attitudes are governed by the Lord. Jesus is our Lord and Master, so we follow his example. Are others blessed by how we live our lives? That's the question we have to ask ourselves today. And maybe you're ready to take that second next step today, and that's to live a godly life so that others will be blessed. That, that's why we do what we do. It's not for ourselves. <clears throat> the same is true within the body of Christ, the church. Our sole purpose in attending church is not to be served, but to serve others. That's the attitude with which we should be coming each Sunday. That would transform our volunteerism, wouldn't it? It would create an environment where people will leave our service feeling blessed, encouraged, welcomed, loved, and so much more because we're stumbling over each other to try and serve each other, trying to serve one another. So what is your purpose in attending church? Are there any changes that you need to make? Just a couple of questions for you to think about today. And so the oath continued to Isaac because of Abraham's obedience. We see that here. <clears throat> the Lord had tested Abraham's faith through three avenues. His commands, which means uh, the most general of all three of these is the commands. Uh, Walton says it concerns demand, uh, concerns demand that incur, that, I'll say it right, that incur obligation. Two examples, Lot being told to flee Sodom. This was a command from the Lord, and Abraham being told to sacrifice Isaac. That was a command, and Abraham had been obedient. Decrees or regulations usually concerns regulations, or I should say the decrees usually concerns regulations, as Walton points out. An example would be the ordinance of circumcision. So this was a decree. You need to circumcise uh, you know, all male children. Then the law means... Uh, are, is used for the entire Mosaic legislation and for the Pentateuch, the Torah. <clears throat> and again, the example here of a law or instruction was circumcision should be done on the eighth day. So the decree was you need to circumcise, the law was it needs to be done on the eighth day. So truth, faith is always tested, and we see that Abraham had passed the test. That's what uh, we're learning here. <clears throat> Principle two, then, is this. Obedience to God's commands, decrees, and laws brings God's blessing. Isaac would experience God's blessing when he, uh, he was obedient to, uh, the, uh, to God's commands, decrees, and laws. And so the same is true for us today. We may not understand why God is not answering our prayers. We may not understand why God's not allowing the church to grow. We may not understand why God is not blessing our business, our relationships, our schooling, our children, our investments, our finances. We may not understand why God's not doing the miraculous or supernatural in our nation, our church. And it all comes down to whether or not we're being obedient to his commands, decrees, and laws. We want God's blessing without having to follow his requirements. That's really where it is. It's like, I, I just want him to bless me. I don't want to really have to follow his commands, decrees, and laws. We sometimes feel like they're just too restrictive, right? We, suffer, uh, we soften our standards and beliefs to be more accepting. 
We do not exhibit the same faith that the first century believers did, and then we wonder why we don't experience the miraculous and the supernatural. They were fully dependent on God. Like, if God didn't show up, they were going to be in trouble. And we see it time and time again that they had faith that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. He's going to take care of them. He's going to provide for them. And we will experience God's blessing when we are obedient to his requirements. And that leads us to the third next step today, and that is to commit to obeying God's commands, decrees, and laws so I can experience his blessing. And Isaac experienced the blessing of the Lord because he was obedient. And we see that in verse 6. Isaac stayed in Gerar. He did not travel down to Egypt, but obeyed the Lord's command. Isaac overcame the temptation to run by being obedient to the Lord's command. His faith was tested and found to be true. So that's one way that we can overcome temptation today. is by being obedient to God's commands, decrees, and laws. We're not going to run if we're adhering to those. But Isaac was human, so he did not always overcome temptation. We see that in verses 7 to 11, and this, this point is temptation to lie. You see, true faith is always tested, as Isaac experienced when tempted to lie out of fear instead of trusting the Lord by faith. Look at those verses with me, if you would, verses 7 to 11. When the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister, because he was afraid to say she is my wife. He thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca because she is beautiful. I hope he told her that, like, you know, <laughs> instead of just telling other people. Uh, when Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebecca. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, she's really your wife. Why did you say she's your sister? Isaac answered him, because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the men might have slept with your wife, and you, would have been brought, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people. Anyone who molests this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. <clears throat> so we see the lie here. The men of Gerar asked Isaac about his wife, Rebekah. He told them that she was his sister because he was afraid that uh, he would be killed since Rebekah was, was beautiful. This lie seemed legitimate to the men of Gerar, right? We can assume that this narrative either took place prior to Jacob and Esau's birth or after they were grown and out, of the, out on their own. If the boys had been with them, the lie would not have worked, right? They're like, oh, well, they're obviously married. They have two children. They have twin boys. It would have been evident that Isaac and Rebekah were married. And this lie worked for a long time. We see that here. The truth was not revealed until a long time had passed. The reason the lie worked for such a long time is because Rebekah was not taken into the king's harem like Sarah had been on both occasions. Pharaoh and his family all experienced serious diseases when Sarah was taken into that harem, and God warned Abimelech in a dream. But here there was not any divine revelation when it came to Rebekah. Hamilton says that Isaac was at Gerar a long time demonstrates that the danger to Rebekah was more imagined than real. He was just concerned, he, you know, and he had such fear that when he was tempted to lie, he went ahead and lied about who his wife was. 
Well, they say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Like Abraham did it a couple of times. <laughs> Abimelech looked out his window one day and saw Isaac caressing Rebekah. There's a play on, on words here in the Hebrew. Isaac's name means he laughs. The Hebrew word for caressing can mean to laugh, to mock, to play. So, Golden Gate says this. Here the problem is that Isaac is Isaacing with Rebekah. The euphemism implies that they are having fun or amusing themselves in a way that suggests that they were more lovers than siblings. Now, we're not given the exact details, that's good, of what physical contact took place between Isaac and Rebekah, but Abimelech knew that they were more than brother and sister. He's like, nah, brothers and sisters aren't touching each other that way. They're not Isaacing that way. I thought that Isaac is Isaac. I thought that was interesting. Um, so Abimelech summons Isaac to confront him. Abimelech makes a statement and then asks a question. She is really your wife. He's like, I, I got you, man. I'm certain that Abimelech shared with Isaac what he saw. Otherwise, Isaac could have just denied Abimelech's claim. I don't know what you're talking about. I wasn't touching Rebecca that way. No way. No, he was like, this is what I saw, Isaac. I was like, yeah, you got me. So why did you say she is my sister? Isaac expresses his fear to Abimelech. He tells Abimelech the truth at this point. Abimelech explains the risk that Isaac took in giving in to the temptation to lie. Abimelech's like, do you realize what could have happened? One of the men of Gerar could have slept with your wife and brought guilt upon all the Philistines. Adultery seemed to, be very, seemed to have been a very heinous offense in the Philistine culture. We see that with the previous Abimelech, with Abraham. Hamilton says Isaac uh, has missed the fact that in, attempt, that in attempting to spare his own life, he was risking the lives of everybody else. He's like, God would have brought judgment down on the Philistines had one of those men slept with Rebekah. And when Isaac comes clean, we see the outcome, which was not what he expected, right? He expected to be killed, and instead he's protected. Abimelech gave orders to all the people. If anyone molests or touches Isaac or Rebekah, they will pay with their lives. He's like, don't do it. To touch Isaac meant to physically hurt him. To touch Rebekah meant to sexually abuse her. Abimelech provides protection for Isaac and Rebekah. So how did... I guess Isaac didn't really overcome the temptation to lie. But... Abimelech provides protection um, because he does tell the truth. That's important. That takes us to the third principle today, that God is pleased when we tell the truth. Isaac could have saved a lot of heartache. He could have overcome that temptation to lie and just been truthful and trusted God to work things out, to take care of his fears. Isaac should have been concerned with pleasing the Lord instead of protecting his own life. He should have been truthful with Abimelech and trusted the Lord by faith. English poet John Dryden says this, Truth is the foundation of all knowledge and the cement of all societies. That's important for us today, isn't it? We think about our culture today. The cement of all societies. You can see the deterioration of our culture, right? because of lies, because of untruths. 
Phillips Brooks, he was an evangelist, said this, Truth is always strong no matter how weak it looks, and falsehood is always weak no matter how, no matter how strong it looks. Isn't that true? It's so true. How does this apply to us today? Was there a time in the past when you gave in to the temptation to lie because of fear? I just want you to think about that today. When the tr truth finally became known, were your fears realized or were they found to be exaggerated? A lot of times our fears are so much worse than reality. Did the lie create drama that would not have been there had you told the truth? So those are just some things to think about. And then we should apply that then to the present. Are you currently being tempted to lie about a particular situation? Is fear of self-preservation the driving force behind the temptation to lie? Think back to that previous time. What happened there? What does the Bible say about lying? I have quite a few passages I want to share with you. Psalm 101 verse 7 says this, No one who practices deceit will dwell in my house. No one who speaks falsely will stand in my presence. Proverbs 6, 16 to 19, you already heard these uh, words this morning. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that uh, shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, there it is again, and a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. Proverbs twelve twenty two, the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in men who are truthful. Proverbs 14.5, a truthful witness does not deceive, but a false witness pours out lies. Colossians 3.9-10, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. And finally, Ephesians 4.25, therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor for we are all members of one body. You and I should be concerned about pleasing the Lord instead of protecting our own lives and reputations. That leads us to the fourth next step today, and that's to trust the Lord by faith and tell the truth so that he will be pleased and glorified. A couple of questions to review today. Do you need to trust in the Lord's grace and remain in his will instead of giving in to the temptation to run? Are you living a godly life so that others will be blessed? Are you ready to obey God's commands, decrees, and laws so you can experience his blessing? Do you need to trust the Lord by faith and tell the truth? And as a body of believers, there are times when we need to overcome the temptation to run and trust in the Lord's grace to remain in his will. And obeying God's commands, decrees, and laws will show others that we are living a godly life and through that, we will experience blessing for ourselves and for those in our community. And finally, we must always tell the truth as a body of believers. John Ortberg shares this. Recently, my wife and I went fly fishing for the first time. Our guides told us that to catch a fish, you, you have to think like a fish. They said that to a fish, life is about the maximum gratification of, of appetite at the minimum expenditure of energy. To a fish, life is see a fly, want a fly, eat a fly. Pretty simple, right? 
A rainbow trout never really reflects on where his life is headed. A girl carp really um, rarely says to a boy carp, I don't feel you're uh, as committed to our relationship as I am. I wonder, do you love me for me or just for my body? The fish are just a collection of appetites. A fish is a stomach, a mouth, and a pair of eyes. While we were on the water, I was struck by how dumb the fish are. Hey, swallow this. It's not the real thing. It's just a lure. You'll think it, it will feed you, but it won't. I'll trap you. If you were to look closely, fish, you would see the hook. You'd know once you were hooked that it's just a matter of time before uh, the enemy reels you in. You'd think fish would, be, would wise up and notice the, the hook to, uh, or see the line. You'd think fish would look around at all their fish friends who go for a lure and fly off into space and never return. But they don't. It is ironic. We say fish swim together in a school, but they never learn. Aren't you glad we're smarter? Or are we? I would guess that a lot of times we give in to temptation because we're not smarter than a fish. <laughs> we're governed by the same kind of appetites, aren't we? And when that temptation comes, we give in. But boy, we can overcome temptations by being truthful and by following God's commands, decrees, and laws. We can be obedient to what he's calling us to do. And, and so what I want, I want to encourage us today with God's word. So as Gina Roxy come to lead us in a closing song, would you just bow your heads with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the truths that are in it and how they apply to us today. Lord, um, we just confess to you that there are times where we give in to temptation because we've not remembered your commands, decrees, and laws. <clears throat> we haven't been obedient to them. Lord, there are other times when we give in to temptation because out of fear, we just lie. And so we confess that before you today and pray that you bring healing. And that, Lord, from here on out, we would be truthful and obedient. And we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.